Dispatching from Block Island, this is Allison Morfold, the Director of the Wellness and Risk Reduction Program at the Block Island Medical Center, and Kristen Bauman, Director of the Island Free Library. This is Wake Up Well, a community conversation around wellness in the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Thanks for joining us. In my calculations, if you've got 500 people coming out eight times a day, just on the traditional ferry, we're bringing in 4,000 people a day. Okay, that's without private boats, it's without airplane travel, it's without um, other, other ferry services. Good morning, welcome back to Wake Up Well. We have two returning guests today with us and we're very pleased to have them. They're um, anxious to have a conversation with each other. We're very happy to have them because Allison and I started this podcast to have community conversations. And that is what will be happening this morning. It will be focused on our um, elderly population on Block Island, but of course we both believe, and I'm sure this will come out in the conversation, that it'll be good information for everyone. So thank you, Gloria Redlick, the Senior Advisory uh, Coordinator, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Warcup from the Block Island Medical Center for rejoining us on Wake Up Well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, all of you, and um, especially Allison and Dr. Warcup. Um, as, you, as you say, um, basically, uh, the concerns I'm presenting are concerns um, of ourselves personally as seniors, but because of my job in contact with other seniors on the island, um, I become aware that basically we are all sort of living parallel lives and that our needs are, are parallel and our concerns. And so um, one, of, one of the first things I'd like to mention that's come to my attention personally again and through others is the, how, um, how we begin to allow, or I mean, I know people have already done, started this, but how, how we allow family and friends to re-enter our lives and to do it in a safe manner. Um, I can just give like the example of next week. We, I mean, we have, we have lived here. Um, uh, we've lived here for 26 years. We're res we're full-time residents, but during COVID um, since the beginning of it, and um, I would say since March, when we returned from a visit to California to our children there, uh, mid-March, we have been home. We have essentially been isolating or, or quarantining ourselves in a way. Um, we have uh, only gone out to the post office, to the big, and occasionally to the airport for a prescription. Um, other friends have lived similar, as I said, parallel lives. Um, and so my point being, we, we have decided and we need and our family members need to get together. We're fortunate because we have an apartment over our garage and we've been told we should not have any of the family come and stay in our home or drive in a car with us. Um, and uh, so those are kind of limitations that I've gleaned from um, others from sources 
a number of sources, and one of them is echoed by my physicist son, who's a, a science nerd and very serious about uh, protecting us and um, projecting the fact that if we were ill, we would be in some very serious situation because um, if, for example, I were ill, my husband who has memory issues could not make the arrangements that would be needed to care for me and or uh, to find a place for himself to live off island. If the reverse were true, I could manage to make the arrangements. I would not love or like the idea of not being able to be with him wherever he might have to go, hospital or whatever, but at least I could be someplace close. Um, and th those concerns are echoed by my uh, contemporaries, uh, fellow seniors on the island. Um, so that's kind of the background. Um, and we're looking like now to have our grandson come out. We have this apartment over the garage. He can live there. We're talking about meeting in the backyard for meals, distancing. Should we be 10 feet apart? Is six feet adequate? Um, wearing masks, should we go in the car together? Shouldn't we? Um, these are the kinds of guidelines and these are the questions, frankly, that are being echoed by other seniors. So initially I would start with those. There are some others that have come up and other concerns, but perhaps doctor, we could start there. I think those are great questions and I, I appreciate you facilitating this conversation because as you mentioned, you, you and your family are a microcosm, but many other people likely have very similar concerns. I think there's kind of a spectrum that you can follow here. One is you can do the isolation side and there, there's nothing wrong with that, but obviously our concerns are for the sense, your sense of community and your ability to interact with others and isolation has its own price to pay on people's emotional and psyche that we'd like to improve on. And then I think you'd also find that it's a little easier than maybe you might have originally thought to kind of re-enter the world or have people enter your world. For example, with your grandson situation, I think you'd first and foremost start with no one that is ill, anyone with an upper respiratory issue or an illness that you can identify, they should not come and visit. I think that's a good thing that almost everybody probably appreciates. Then it's trying to identify whether or not they coming from a high risk situation. And that may depend on if your loved one is traveling in and out of New York City or any large metropolitan area for business, or have they been also isolated for several months in a home working from the, working from the house, working on a computer. So there's very little likelihood that the person that would be visiting or that you're going to visit has COVID. Obviously the concern, <clears throat> excuse me, for most seniors is that asymptomatic individual that no one knew that they have COVID and they're either in a state of health that they're perfectly okay and or they're young enough and strong enough where you don't really get a sense of a burden. But if that were to be transmitted to you or your husband, then that could be a different scenario. I think in your situation specifically, I would have the, your grandson come and stay at the, in the apartment over the garage. And then all of a sudden the timer begins for us where 
he or she can isolate uh, in that apartment. We know that time zero is that individual is here on the island. We have no burden of the disease that we know of, which is terrific, and we'd like to keep it that way. And then really reasonable precautions, such as when you interact with your loved one, they should wear a mask. There should be strict hand washing or hand hygiene. I think meeting in the backyard is an absolutely great idea. Uh, six feet apart is perfectly wonderful. Uh, it's more than adequate. So if you were to stay six feet apart, you have a mask, your husband has a masks, uh, mask, and also your loved one has a mask. I think that is a great way to start interacting again. Uh, and then obviously the biggest burden of COVID illness, if they were to just contract COVID prior to coming to visit, it's going to happen within the first five days is where they'll start to get disease burden, start to get upper respiratory illness, things of that nature. So the further we get from that point, seven days, 10 days, and obviously 14 days, then at that point, we know they're burden free and you can interact more freely. That's when I would likely start to have dinner in your home, but just make sure that they're on the other side of the table, wash their hands, hand hygiene, and start to interact with each other in a more intimate way, like you were mentioning, rather than feeling like it's always from afar. <clears throat> and then it's taking all of the cautions that I think we appreciate to do, which is six feet apart, wear a mask when you can, and when it's reasonable. It's more difficult for individuals that have breathing disorders like COPD or emphysema, or a sense of anxiety when they have the mask. So then that individual should spend more distance away, maybe 10 feet. But more at this point, it's more of a guideline than anything that's really science-based. It's more of what appears to be reasonable. Um, well, uh, one that's triggered, it's on my, it was on my list, um, but it was, it was triggered by what you're saying. So um, a, a very, prominent concern of mine and um, I recently voiced at a town council meeting is the numbers of people coming out on the ferry. So just again, hypothetical, well, it's not hypothetical. My grandson will be coming, for example, from the new London high-speed ferry next week. Um, I don't know the capacity of that ferry, but I know that our traditional ferries usually carry close to a thousand people. According to Bill McComb, the other night he said they've cut that in half. In my calculations, if you've got 500 people coming out eight times a day, just on the traditional ferry, we're bringing in 4,000 people a day, okay? That's without private boats, it's without airplane travel, it's without um, other, other ferry services. Um, so, for the grandson traveling on the high speed and his exposure to those people um, and the descriptions have been on those ferries that people are not distancing in spite of the attempts. And I think that interstate is probably making what they think are good attempts. People are not following the guidelines. They're on top of each other on the ferries. Many people, although they tell them to wear masks when they go on, are taking the masks off when they're on the boat and traveling, um, in spite of being close to others and close to some of, some seniors have told me they've been on 
just a few, I have to say. One woman who, um, she's a young senior, so she's in her, uh, I'd say, mid-60s. And um, she, she was concerned because of people in her face, she said, a foot away from her refusing to put their masks on. Okay, I, I realize we don't have control over those individuals who are obstinate and stubborn. My sense, and I expressed this at the town council, is that we need an educational program and they've begun it, I believe. I just think it has to um, be strengthened. They begun meeting the boat and they talked about proposing having some either police or others stationed at the, each end of Water Street to speak to people and say in a kind of non-adversarial way, look, this is a really small community. We need you to, you know, understand the need for the distancing, for the mask wearing. Now, having said that, so my concern goes back to the grandson traveling. He's, for the most part, as you're saying, yeah, he's healthy normally. He lives in a family where his parents are working. He unfortunately hasn't had a job in a while, but one of the reasons he'd like to be out here is perhaps he can find one and spend the rest of summer with us. Um, but so he's healthy, he's traveling, but is, is his exposure on that crowded ferry uh, um, something that um, can precipitate or should be of concern to us? or is, is of concern um, in terms of transmission of disease? It's a great question. And I think your, your commentary on the ferry is very accurate. I think there are best efforts uh, by many to try to improve human behavior, but it's difficult to control. <clears throat> I think with your grandson specifically, he would obviously seem thoughtful enough that he'll come over with a mask on. He'll try to separate himself from other members of the ferry uh, traveling community as much as you can. When he would get to your house, I would have him kind of shower, take off his clothes and change. And that's the best you can do between him wearing his mask and then showering when he gets there, changing his, out his clothes. And I think at that point, you've really minimized any potential risk that he's had an exposure or continues to have an exposure with let's say virus on him, let's say. One of the things that I didn't mention that I, I think it will be intuitive to all is to try to avoid downtown. Uh, obviously, if we're trying to avoid COVID for the senior community, avoid downtown during these peak times. You are right, there are thousands yeah. of people down there in various stages of mask wearing. <clears throat> it is a very strong concern of ours here at the medical center we have weekly conversations with the Department of Health and the governor's office about this very fact. They are keenly aware of it as well. They're doing right. what they can do from a public educational rather than an enforcement stance. Uh, but they have been very clear with us over the last two weeks that we have a contingency plan. If we were to have a development of COVID here, they would come to the island to assist us and very, very strongly consider shutting ferry traffic off. And at that point, uh, you know, town council would be involved and whatnot. This, you're speaking of the state and the state response, is that right? That's correct. 
and that's that would be the state response is that they would work with us one of my questions to you was going to be whether we had some contingency plan for people becoming ill as a result of the influx of so many people um we've been fortunate as you say uh to date we've we've had a a, a protected com community we've lived kind of in a bubble um and of course this is the concern on the mind of most of us um uh, I, I would hope that I, as part of your advocacy from the medical center, I don't know what your relationship is with the town council, but um, I think they need, this is just a personal observation, as much um, advice and advocacy as they can get. And I say this in kindness, I mean, in intended kindness, because I respect them and I feel they're working very hard to do a very difficult job and hold it all together. But uh, one of the responses to a question about limiting the travelers on the boat, I, I proposed that uh, the other night and I was told they're a private entity, they're a private business and we cannot tell them what to do. And my suggestion was, no, we don't have to be high handed. We don't have to be authoritarian but we can have a dialogue we're in, interdependent the ferry service uh, keeps the island going and they depend on us as much as we depend on them and we need to have a, a, a sort of civil conversation about reasonably what they can do I believe to limit the numbers and I think anything that the medical center can do in terms of influencing that um, I think would be helpful because I think that those kinds of ends could be, could be arrived at. I think more reasonable response, perhaps bring down the numbers a couple of hundred on each ferry. I don't know. I really don't know how it will go, but I, I would hope that the medical center is part of the conversation and the advice channel to the town council as well. I think I, I obviously don't have the historical perspective, but I can say with confidence that I feel that the relationship with the town council and the medical center has been quite strong. We have a lot of offline communication, which I, I think has been great. It's been very healthy. It's been very appropriate. We communicate in some of those governor's meetings. Uh, several members of the town council are on it every time. Uh, so I would say that we are, I feel strongly that they're doing a great job. I think you're right, it's a difficult situation and that where do we have control over other private entities, but that's where the governor's office comes in. The governor, the, the government can put in regulations and I think the triad between the medical community, the town council and the governor's office has really been in touch. Uh, so I think we have strong relationships that we can lean on if necessary. In relationship to the contingency plan, it's actually been very, it's been a great experience working with the, the Department of Health and the governor's office. They have supplied us with an additional mobile ventilator that we have up and operational in the, in the office now. So we have two ventilators if necessary. Uh, hopefully we never need to use it, but we, we do have it. Yeah. We have uh, been in touch with the Rhode Island uh, Department of Emergency Management that has pledged to us either a mobile emergency room unit, which has two beds, all the way up to a 
a 20 to 30 bed field hospital if we needed to. And they would help provide oh. support for personnel. Obviously our plan would not be to have that many people caring in place. We would be obviously moving those individuals to the mainland, but it just speaks to that. What is the possibility that we have available? And they also are sending in that case, they would also send a paramedicine type team that would be able to do wellness checks for individuals in their homes where we would prefer people to convalesce at home who can convalesce at home, but have a touch point with the medical right. center on a daily basis. We have a way to do that, but they have pledged that they would send people to come out and do blood pressures and temperature checks and pulse oximetry. So I think we have different layers of a contingency that you'd be proud of. Yeah, that sounds really wonderful. I wonder, um, so have, are you, are you making this a you know the public here aware of that? In other words, that's the first time I've heard about those. They're wonderful plans and backup because I didn't you know way back at the beginning of this when we talked to people, um, Doctor Doctor Clark and others, you know the reality was, and I remember speaking with Mark, and he just simply laid it on the line. The reality is, Gloria, if anyone becomes ill out here with COVID, that person's going off. You know, we're, we, we haven't got the facilities to handle it, which was true at the time. Um, all of this was very new to everyone um, and, um, and understandable. So uh, all I mean in terms of, I guess, communication with the public, um, I hope. I mean, I, I appreciate that your your weekly announcements that come out and um, the the um, the information. I I would just uh, hope that you get this part out too. In other words, this is new for us or new for me, and I imagine new for others. So I just would ask that you know, in some way, you make that public. Um, when I um, when I go and. You know, I want to figure out what what's reasonable for me to put in a um, a statement from from SAC from the Senior Advisory Committee if I go on and try to give some guidelines based on our conversation. Um, I I don't know that it, it's appropriate for me to make the statement that you've just in other words to convey what you've conveyed. I think that probably more appropriately needs to be to come out of the medical center. And I would hope that you would make that available to more of us, you know, the community. I certainly can do that. They, they can hear it on this podcast, but I'll also yeah. a different YouTube video. And uh, oh, sure. ultimately yeah. the, the com I'd like the community to wear that everybody's working in the background, trying to do the best they can and really communicate. Yeah. And uh, there's a point where uh, we don't want to give a false sense that we're so nervous that we are putting these things in place, but uh, preparation is, is probably the best way to improve what could happen. The, I do agree with you that maybe early on as the data was starting to come in, the idea that everybody has to leave was not unreasonable. But I think as we understand more, oh, yeah. your grandson, if your grandson were to have COVID and young and healthy and has nothing more than a low grade fever and a bit of a cough, it's really unreasonable to make those individuals leave the island, especially if somebody lives here, then they have nowhere to live. And I know that is the thought of some individuals, but they can convalesce very safely at home and keep the community safe and we would help them 
recover in the privacy of their, their home. It is true though, that if anybody had respiratory symptoms, we would be having those individuals on the mainland right. evaluated. Uh, I just don't want, I just want to avoid yeah. us being so reactionary that when we send somebody to the ER, the ER then says, okay, now go home and rest. Now this individual feels like I got shipped off the island because I was sick and now I have to get back on the island when I really probably could have been treated while I was in place. And all of these are gradations of illness, but the early right. the, uh, minimally burdened disease state, can we can take care of that here. That's wonderful to hear, seriously, because I think that's been something that I, you know, I myself have felt kind of hanging over our heads and also other, others have conveyed to me that, that sense of pressure um, believing and I mean it's it's wonderful to feel as though one can with with sort of moderate symptoms or milder symptoms one could stay home and remain and and have connection to care out here that would be great yeah. I mean it is great to hear that some of the things um, that we talked about yeah. on my, my previous um, appearance on this podcast is it's really about the combination of how's your social situation how are you physically? Do you have any other medical problems? Do you have an ability to have a space that's private so you can convalesce at home? All of those things would go into our determination and obviously a direct conversation with how concerned the individual is. Right. So we would put that all together into a treatment plan of how we'd like to proceed. But I'm confident that for those individuals with minimal burden, with daily check-ins, and obviously the ability to communicate with us at any moment, we could all we could we could find a happy medium for people to to get better in their homes. Right. I would just like to interject there that um, Dr. Warcup, that that's that I agree with you, Gloria. That is great to hear that clear messaging, right? Like that gives us a sense yes. of oh, absolutely. Yeah, of confidence and calm. And when you were on the podcast last time and, and talked about that, I know that I was in my own home. And I thought that through. I thought, okay, this is the bathroom that will be the COVID bathroom. Everybody else will use this bathroom and the outdoor shower will contain that person in this bedroom. And, you know, I, I live with my son and, and one renter, you know, so there's three of us. But I, it was really empowering for me to sort of make a plan based on that information and to know like, okay, like we're going to function through this and we're going to make it through this. And um, I, I liked that. So I'm with you, Gloria. Isn't it great to have information and, and to know that we have a medical center that's confident about it? Yeah, it's very, and as I, I mean, I can say it lifts a huge weight off my shoulders per, personally to, um, frankly, that's been an really serious anxiety producing image. The thought of Harold and I sort of, taking the car and going off and me delivering him to the hospital or he having, God knows how he would deliver me, you know, and having that kind of uh, sort of scattered image, but frightening. Um, I, I imagine our kids would kick in at some point, um, although, you know, they're older now too. And one in particular has had Crohn's disease. And so he, he's more vulnerable. So we would not want to expose him to us 
or, you know, so there are all those. So this is very uh, calming. Thank you, doctor, um, uh, and reassuring in terms of the capacity for the Island uh, Medical Center to help us sort of remain longer in our homes, live here, work things out if it's reasonable to do so. Um, so I appreciate that. Wake Up Well is produced by Dry Brush Studios. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to get involved in the conversation or offer comments or suggestions, please email us at wakeupwellblockisland at gmail.com. Thanks. <laughs>